Welcome to the KMLD Personal Growth Podcast with your host, Carl Murray. Each week, we discuss relevant personal growth topics and how each can grow into whom God intended us to be. Welcome, welcome. Good morning and welcome back. This is Ushauri on Impulse Radio Africa, where we discuss growth topics that can help us as Africans grow. I'm your host, Carl Murray. I'm a speaker, trainer, coach, and NLP practitioner. Today's show, we are going to start a new series called Rewire, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit more uh, as we go through the show. But before we start, I want to just take a second to, to thank Impulse Media Group, Impulse Radio, uh, Tengi, Keanu, Charlotte, Charlotte, and the whole team that side um, for their support and patience with my, my absence in the last couple of weeks. Uh, awesome team, really appreciate it. Um, but we are back now, uh, and hopefully we can all continue learning as we go forward. So uh, when we finished the, the last season, we spent quite a bit of time going through the logical levels, our conscious and subconscious thinking, how we apply those changes. We looked at goals and perseverance and and how we change our lives. Now, as we work on on these changes we want to see in our life, one of the biggest things that we run into as a a block or a a hurdle is is our minds and our old habits. So that's what we're going to look at in this season, Rewire. So uh, it will be um, eight episodes. Uh, So over the next eight weeks, we are going to unpack um, how we rewire our thinking, our habits, and our brains. Now, this is not a new concept. Uh, I will quote one of my <laughs> one of my favorite uh, pieces of scripture that uh, that I often turn to. It's from the book of Romans, and we look at uh, chapter fifteen to twenty. And this is the apostle Paul that writes, and he says, "I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do." But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, But the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Now, if I I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Now, that that whole piece can be a tongue twister by itself. But I I think it also highlights how confusing things can get in our minds. The, The NLT translation of just verse 15 puts it a little bit... Uh, as as less of a, a tongue twister, and it says, uh, "I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate." So we're gonna, as always, pop off for a quick music break. But before we do that, uh, I want to thank our sponsor, the Impulse Media Group, for making the show possible. Impulse Media Group was established in 2020 to close the gap between all 55 African states and promote post-colonial reinstruction. You can connect with Impulse Media Group via their website, uh, www.impulseradioafrica.online, or their Facebook page, 
at Impulse Radio Africa or via email at info at Impulse Radio Africa online. When we come back, we'll start digging into how we rewire this mess that sits between our ears. Uh, let's go back over to, to the studio for some music. Uh, and when we're back, we'll carry on. Enjoy the music. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that. Right, let's get straight into it. Um, we've all been there. You, you do something almost unconsciously. And then you realize how dumb it was. And you wish you could take it back. Sometimes it's something really harmless, like a, a spelling mistake on an email or a WhatsApp. But sometimes it, it's something with much bigger consequences, like smoking that one last cigarette for all time's sake. Um, it can lead to a chain of destructive behaviors, not just more cigarettes, but also anger, self-hate uh, and guilt for falling off the wagon. Most of us find ourselves too often repeating these same mistakes. We're stuck in bad habits and, and very few of us understand why. Procrastination, uh, as well as a lack of assertion, um, disorganization, smoking, overworking, poor sleep habits, uh, lack of consideration, depressed shopping, internet addiction, all the way up through to drug addiction and deliberate self-harm. Generally, we know what we are doing to ourselves and we keep promising to, to change, to, 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 to drop these bad habits that we have. And, and most, most of us really do try, but these habits are hard to break. Every time we try but fail, we become more hopeless, more discouraged, and more critical of ourselves. Self-destructive habits like these are, are the greatest source of unnecessary misery <laughs> in our lives. Th these habits can include anything from not brushing your teeth in the mornings to, to having suicidal tendencies, or even binge eating um, to, to being too passive. And, and I, I guess we could throw in there binge watching Netflix on a weekend with a bag of crisps. Um, the, the, the list is unending of these habits that we, that we might want to change. For most of us, these habits never go too far, so th they don't really hurt us that much but they can make us feel guilty and, and can eat away at our self-esteem. Guilt serves, as a pur serves a purpose if it, if it gets us to change our ways, but, but more often than not, we don't, we don't even try, and we end up lugging around this burden of guilt and, and self-condemnation. In, in, in the Christian lifestyle, this is where we often say that we, we feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, that feeling of guilt, that, that gentle prompting, the voice inside you that says you've done something wrong, what you did was not quite right. That's the same kind of thing that I'm talking about. Other bad habits may, may also impact our work and our social life, um, like avoiding the spotlight, not being assertive enough, procrastination, uh, staying stuck in a bad job or, or even a relationship. Or you may do things that hurt you directly, such as excessive drinking, uh, drug abuse, um, or drug use. It doesn't always start as drug abuse, right? It's, uh, it's, it's just drug use. Um, and something that's quite prevalent for youth is uh, cutting themselves on their arms, um, taking dangerous chances, getting into fights, 
developing eating disorders. If you are human, you've probably tried many times to stop some of your, your bad habits because it seems like it should be simple and easy. You know very well what the right choice is and you know exactly what you have to change, yet you keep making the, the wrong decisions, taking the wrong steps. Like Paul said, you keep doing the things you hate. So, so why in the world can't we stop? What is the problem? As if this inability of ours to do the right thing when it's obvious wasn't bad enough, there are also many self-destructive habits that we are not even aware of. Uh, careless or, or reckless driving, um, being thoughtless, uh, not, not listening attentively to someone, neglecting our health. I mean, the, the list goes on. And a lot of this unconscious uh, self-destructive behavior gets played out also in our relationships, the personal relationships, work relationships, uh, relationships with clients, etc. So all of these bad habits can have an impact anyway in many areas of our life. Now, though there can be other causes, most self-destructive behavior is the result of the fact that we have two minds that refuse to communicate most of the time. We, we've touched on this when we went through the logical levels um, and when we when we looked at earlier parts in our previous series on how our different thinking can, can change things. These two minds give us conflicting advice, usually way under the radar of our awareness where we don't even know what's going on. And, and we often choose our actions without even thinking about it. Put simply, it, it, it seems... It seems as we have a, a thoughtful, conscious, and deliberate self. And on the other hand, we have an automatic self that, that does most of the work of, of living without our attention. Um, in our earliest discussions, we looked at the book by Dr. Sky Chilton um, called The Rewired Brain. And, and some of what we are talking about is from the research from that book as well. But in, in there, he, he talks about the, the reptilian brain, the amygdala, which is a very tiny part of the brain that, that learns from reactions. And in the past, we've used the example of if you as, as a child went walking with your friends, um, a nice sunny summer afternoon, it's nice and warm, a few clouds in the sky, uh, and there's a dog barking not too far away from where you are. And as you keep walking with your, with your buddies, this dog is in a, inside a yard where the gate is not closed and it comes out, it chases you and it bites you on your leg. Now, if that is a single incident that happened, let, let's say you're, you're 10 years old. So you've lived for over 365 uh, hold on, let me get that right. <laughs> You've lived for, for 10 years, thousands and thousands of days before I put my, my mathematics in the same level of some of our South African politicians. <laughs> and just that one incident has in your amygdala, in your reptilian brain, it has burned that, that thought, the pain, the experience, the fear, the, the adrenaline. Your, 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 your mind, that unconscious or, or automatic, as we speak about it in, in, 
in this context, that automatic part of your brain is the one now that that tells you that when this sequence of events start happening, I'm going to get bitten by a dog and it's going to hurt like heck. So 15, 20 years down the line, this, this incident has never, ever occurred again. But the moment you go walking down a, a road, it's nice and sunny, a few clouds in the sky, you hear a dog barking, this automatic part of your brain digs into the archives and it goes and pulls out that experience of you being bitten by the dog and it tells you, put the brakes on. It's time to turn around and run that away. That is how the unconscious mind works. The, the amygdala, uh, the, the reptilian brain, the, the subconscious, the automatic, whatever you want to call it, that's how it works. Now, the conscious self, the conscious mind can easily make mistakes, but these mistakes are often things that we are aware of. Because of how the conscious mind works, when, when you have to decide to take an action, your, your mind starts, and this is a cons, conscious action, conscious event, which we've also discussed in the past. When you think of, am I going to pick up this cup of coffee that I've just made, and I just poured in the, the hot water, I made it with boiling milk, so it's probably going to be quite hot. So when you pick it up and you take a sip, you are aware of the fact that you might burn your tongue and that you might have to put it down really quickly. Um, that is a conscious decision where you know that there is a, a mistake or a possible risk to what you are doing. But it, it's our automatic self or our unconscious mind that usually causes the biggest trouble because it's guided by motives um, past experiences, prejudices that we, that we are sometimes not even aware of, our own unique frames of reference um, th that are not always in sync with reality and our old habits and old ways of doing things. The truth is that these kind of mistakes are, are common in all of us. And I, I would go so far as to say it's part of what makes us human. Why we do things that, that hurt us remains one of the greatest mysteries of, uh, of the human mind. It seems, <laughs> it seems almost contradictory where most of our actions are motivated by things that give us pleasure, pride, love, uh, and a, a sense of being better, a sense of mastery. Uh, it's called the pleasure, uh, pleasure principle in philosophy and in psychology, and it explains uh, it explains a lot about human behavior. So we have to ask why, then, why do we sometimes do things that, that can be predicted to make us feel bad or, or get in the way of what we want and, and, and we, still, we still carry on doing it despite knowing that. Uh, Sigmund Freud, which um, is, a, is a very well-known thinker uh, of, uh, of the ages, a psychologist and philosopher. Um, he, he went so far as to invent the, the death instinct uh, concept, the th thanatos. And if you, if, you watch, um, if you watch movies, then you of course know who Thanos is and, and that goes around. <laughs> I think that uh, that character is based on this principle. Uh, and thanatos is a, a primal force within us that, that drives us to destruction. 
it's an idea that's that's generally been abandoned in 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 psychology and, and philosophy because there's no real evidence for it then you've got someone like Carl Jung who has the concept of the the shadow self the parts of ourselves that we that we deny um, but they still influence our choices um, and and it, it, it and, and that argument turns out to hold hold more water in these uh, discussions of course there are things that bring us short-term pleasure at the expense of long-term pain uh, and and this we we all know when as we are heading towards summer we're all living into this one right um a short <laughs> short-term pleasure overeating eating cakes and chocolates and pizza and burgers and everything that's nice but come summer you're wondering where the heck is my six-pack I can't fit into my bathing costume anymore. Uh, I really don't look good. So in, in a case like that, we've given up a short-term pleasure um, at the expense of, of long-term pain. We, we, we don't think about that. And overeating is not the only thing. Gambling is one of them. Drinking uh, is another one. How many times have people said, I'm never going to drink again? But, because, but when it comes to that, that rush and the pleasure of, of having a drink, you forget the hangover. You forget that you're going to spend a lot more money on alcohol than you're going to spend on water or juices or coffee or anything like that and the effects it might have on your family. Still, you, you would think that we, we could learn more easily after repeated painful experiences, repeated unpleasant experiences um, to change our habits. And then there's the the undertow, the under undercurrent, the, the fact that after years of successfully controlling self-destructive behavior, something can set us off and soon we are right back where it started. A, a really good example of this is uh, someone who, who stopped smoking or drinking. Both of those are very addictive uh, behaviors. Um, and, and you'll find someone has joined the, the, the AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and they, they stop drinking for, for 10 years. But all it takes is one drink, one small sip of a glass of wine, something that's meant to be harmful, absolutely, absolutely harm, harmless. And, and after that one drink, they're right back into the old habits. Someone taking a, a quick drag of a cigarette from a friend when they haven't smoked for years. It's never just the one drag. You always go back to it. So that thing of being able to control our, our self-destructive behavior for so long and then jumping back into it. Now, I'm, I'm not going to claim that, uh, that I have the answer to the mystery of this self-destructive behavior, but I, but I have found that most often it can be explained through a relatively small number of, of scripts or, or, or things we keep telling ourselves and we've spoken about self-talk in the past uh, when we looked at our miracle mornings and the saviors. We, we spoke about those positive affirmations. Now, some of these affirmations are not so positive. These scenarios where we face the, 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 the undertow falling back into these things and, and how our, our two minds are always fighting. Um, these scenarios are in, in part about the the hidden motivations that tempt uh, and drive us, um, or, or the, the scripts, the self-talk that once started, 
we have to sort of follow through with them to, to, to whatever that particular sad end is, a, a rather like a tragic, a, a, a tragic movie that you watch. You're horrified as it starts playing out. And, 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 you, and you know what's going to happen, but you, you keep watching. You know where it's going, to, it's going to be horrible and you're going to end up in tears. You can see it coming, yet you stay glued and you keep watching. The, the motives and the feelings, as well as the thinking behind these patterns, are usually not accessible to us. Um, and, and, and this is in our, in our conscious way of thinking. We cannot dig into, into these habits. That makes it unconscious. Um, so just to stop there quickly, when we go back to our thinking patterns, remember that there are three main ones. There's our conscious thinking. There's our subconscious thinking, which is the, 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 the part that we are not always aware of, but it is still happening constantly there. And then there's the unconscious one which is the, the parts of our breathing, right? So there's our conscious, subconscious, and then a little bit further deeper in is our unconscious thinking. So these motives and feelings and, and, and the thinking behind these patterns of ours um, sits in our unconscious mind, except in those moments of our deep, deep soul searching. Or if you're someone who likes to go to therapy, that's when you look at these. I'm hoping that... In the weeks we've spent together, there has been some times where you've done some deep soul searching because that was part of our exercises. So maybe you've already identified some of these, these small things. But, but, but they're not so deeply hidden that you won't recognize your, your own scenarios. And, and very often these things jump out at you immediately when you read them. That's the other nice thing about our sub and unconscious minds. You might not be thinking about it, but think, think about an old song. You're sitting in the car or, or with a bunch of friends and on the, on the radio, all of a sudden there's a song that comes on from your childhood. Immediately, you know the words, you, remember, you, you know, you, it's like there's a vault opened in your, in your mind. You know exactly where you were when you, when you first listened to that song. You see your friends around you. You, you saw yourselves at a braai or something fun that you were doing. That's how amazing the mind is. You have forgotten about it. If someone, can, if someone asks you to think of a time where there was a nice song that you really loved and you were with friends, you won't be able to think about it. But just simply hearing the song or seeing something triggers that memory and your mind just unpacks all of the, these memories. So our unconscious or subconscious mind is super powerful. Now, let's carry on. We, we may be unaware of some of these thought patterns of ours and self-talk patterns. And, and although good friends of ours and our loved ones often sees these habit of ours because they're, they're, they're outside of the situation, right? Um, so, so they are objective. And th that objectivity is something we have to practice, where you have to almost stand outside yourself and look objectively at, at your life and your decisions. Social conventions prohibit our friends and family from telling us about these things. If you tell someone and point out a bad habit, uh, uh, a bad thing they are doing, a personality trait that is not good, what happens? It creates conflict. So our social constructs have said to us that, no, 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 
that's the guy's problem. If he's got if he's got an issue in this, leave him. He'll figure it out himself. And chances are, even if they told us, we probably wouldn't listen. In therapy uh, or in counseling and coaching sessions, a lot of these patterns will only emerge after really close scrutiny uh, of the mechanisms, the things that cause our, our unhappiness. In, in business, we call those root cause analysis. And there are different ways that you can do it. You can even apply those to your own life as well. Um, but there are different ways that we can, that we can dig into and, and discover where our, our unhappiness and our repeated mistakes keep coming from. So over the next few weeks, we're going to explore why we make these mistakes and how our brains are wired so that we don't only make them, we make them often and we keep making them. And we will discover how we can then rewire our brain. See, see how clever that is. I'll give myself a pat on the shoulder. How we rewire our brain and then get rid of some of these, uh, these old habits. Now, most of the time when, when you do something you regret, your, your automatic self, your subconscious, is at work while no other part of your brain is considering the consequences of what you're about to do. Sometimes the, the automatic self is, is motivated by a desire to protect some aspect of the mind or of your physical body that, that might remain unconscious in the, in the sense of the mind or a pain that you might not remember on your body, like the dog that bit you. Sometimes it's just a little dumb or lazy or distracted. So there's, it's not always that there's, there's a positive mechanism behind what your unconscious or subconscious mind is doing. The bugger could just be lazy. But, but as you'll see over the next few weeks, it's, it's not impossible to detect our unconscious motives, our, our bad habits, and, and our assumptions that are at work to drive these decision-making processes of ours. It requires self-awareness um, and the, the practice of certain skills that don't occur to us naturally. So if you want to overcome any bad behavior, you have to train your automatic self to stop slipping, right? Strengthening your conscious self to be more dominant is also very useful, but training your automatic self is, is more effective. Think back to the, the logical levels that we discussed uh, earlier this year. The, the higher on the ladder or the pyramid of our consciousness we make changes, the easier the influence to the rest of our thinking and our habits. If you, if you missed those, you can, you can go over to, to my website or the Facebook page for Ushauri or KMLD online. Um, so go over to KMLD online and in there, look at the logical levels. We, we've, we took a few steps where we walked through them. Uh, I don't think it would be a wise idea to dig into that now because we'll end up ending the show <laughs> at 5 p.m. <laughs> so go back and look at those logical levels and, and, and see how, how it is affected and how it affects our behavior. Um, but, but what I'm trying to say is to, 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 to change your thinking within your conscious mind is something that takes a lot of 
effort and and it's not something that is very easy um, to maintain or to sustain making a quick conscious decision is very easy but we slip back in listening to the unconscious and the subconscious the moment we we get a little bit distracted or we get busy with something so the key lies in changing your your unconscious or your subconscious or automatic self that part of your thinking by addressing that it becomes a lot easier and a lot more sustainable to to have these changes and our brains can also physically change we can direct the ways that our brain develops and how it affects our behavior. Our, our brains are constantly building new cells. Even though it was believed at some point that at a certain age, your brain stops producing new brain cells. Uh, but studies have shown, and, and this is no longer the, the very intrusive <laughs> studies where your, your head is sliced open with, with an angle grinder. It's, it's all done with electronics and smart computers. So, but they've now discovered that your brain actually never stops creating new brain cells. The, the patterns in which your neurons, the, the, the bits that transfer the information and your muscle twitches and all that moves within the brain, though, that does change. So when we do anything repeatedly with a focused attention, our, our nerve cells will physically grow new connections between, say, nerve center A and nerve center B. Nerve center A is you going to the gym, and nerve center B is you stay at the gym longer until your workout is done every single day. Now, nerves A and B develop a stronger connection with more transmitting and, and receiving points. And going to do our workout becomes a habit with a physical embodiment where, where our brain then starts building something to support us going to the gym. So <laughs> there's a, a saying they often use to say that neurons that fire together, wire together. And that simply means that the more you get the different parts of your brain to work towards a, an understanding, a habit, a new way of doing something, the, the more by the wiring together, the more permanent that becomes. We forget our aches and pains uh, from the gym and our distractions, and we just get into the gym every single day and we go there. That's when our, our nerve center A and B come together and become one. And every time we do it, it makes it easier for the next day. And I'm, I'm sure you've seen that even not just uh, in the example of the gym, uh, when you try to, to stop a bad habit, when you try to stop drinking, for example, your, your first day of not drinking is, is not that easy, but the longer and the further it goes, someone in the AA for one year, it's not easy at all. Someone in the AA for 20 years, it becomes a little bit easier. You never stop trying, you never stop putting in the effort, but your subconscious mind now supports you a lot better in maintaining these habits that you have. Uh, a few years ago, some, some scientists taught a, a group of college students how to juggle. And, and using some fancy, fancy tools, they observed their brains while they were learning. After three months of, of practicing daily 
and, and if you've ever tried juggling, you know that that's not the easiest thing in the world. After three months of, uh, of practicing every single day, the, the subject's brains showed visible growth in, in gray matter, the, the gooey, squishy stuff inside the brain. Then, there's, then the students were, were asked not to practice for the next three months. And those same gadgets were plugged onto them and they were monitored and all that. And, and all that growth in the certain area of the brain had disappeared. So those neurons, those, those, those nerves that started coming together uh, now broke their connections and retracted to wherever it is that they came from. So what would happen to your brain if you were able to prevent your own self-destructive patterns in thinking, feeling, in your behavior for three months? If, if, if a simple thing like juggling can make your brain grow over three months and then stop juggling for three months can make it shrink and, and remove all physical signs that you were able to juggle, can you, can you see how that is then going to have an impact if you can do the same thing with your bad habits? Even if it's something that you've been doing for 10, 20, 30 years, if you can stop slowly but surely, those, those connections will start disappearing. So we not only expect when we go to the gym to lose a lot of weight, we also expect that after three months, our weight will be maintained. Our lifestyle would have changed. For, for all of these things, it, it really helps to, 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 to try and picture the, the bigger impact, the bigger, the, this ripple effect that it can have in your life by just changing one bad habit. In, in fact, there's, there's evidence also that the brain changes much more quickly and mysteriously than the, the juggling study uh, had indicated. Um, scientist Alvaro Pascal Leone, uh, he was a researcher at Harvard. He had volunteers practice a simple one-handed piano exercise for two hours a day for five days. He then looked at, uh, at their brain activity through, through this process at the start, the end. And what he found was that in, in only five days, the, the area of the brain that controls the fingers was enlarged and enriched. And by enriched, they mean more, more nerve endings, more neurons firing consecutively and, and in sync. However, he, he divided the, the piano players into two groups. And, and one of the groups continued practicing for another four weeks after this. And the other group stopped completely. The, the group who stopped practicing, um, he noticed that the changes in their brains mapping, those new changes, the new uh, neurons that fire together, wire together, those sort of things, um, had gone. They had started disappearing. There were only traces of them. But the ones who had continued training, they had grown bigger and stronger, and there were more of them. The, the more interesting part, and, and this, is, this is the one that I want you to, to think on a little bit, is there was a third group who were told to practice, but without a piano, without moving their fingers physically. Their practicing was done in their mind. 
So they, they obviously knew and, and saw how to do the, the, the practicing and all that. So in their mind, they would practice how their fingers would move. And, and, and the, the part that surprised the researchers was that those who never had a physical piano to, to practice on had almost exactly the same brain development and increased brain activity in that area as the ones who physically practiced for the first five days and then for the four months. Now, th that sounds really far-fetched, but when, when I was at school in Whitbank, uh, I, I was really, really lucky to have, um, in, in the school we went, uh, it was called the, in Afrikaans, Hartje is Wittbank, Technische School, Higher Technical School of Whitbank. We had a really good um, coach for, for our sprinting. And, and I had a cousin second or two or three times removed, uh, Louis. The, the two of us were the top sprinters in the school and, and we did all our training together. Our coach on, on odd occasions, not on odd occasions, before big events, our last two days of, of training would not be very intense physically, but he would sit us down at the start line on the track make us close our eyes, do some breathing exercises, truly relax. And he would mimic the, the sprint event. So we would sit at the start of the 100-meter sprint, and he would say, all right, imagine yourself, you, you, you've, you've put your blocks in place, you've adjusted them, they're the right position, uh, they feel comfortable, you can clearly see the, the, the finish line. You walk around, you're, you're shaking out the tension from your legs and your arms, and you're just relaxing. And the starter is saying, on your marks, get set. And then he would clap his hands. And as he claps his hands, that was the gun going off, the starter's gun. And we would run. And in our minds, we had to imagine the whole process. And we, we did that on, on, on these days five, six, sometimes 15 times until he was happy. He, of course, knew our performances. He knew what we were capable of doing. And we had to, as the moment we crossed the finish line, we had to clap our hands. And he would time us. And <laughs> even though I initially thought there was some voodoo to this whole process, some juju, that moment when we clapped, from the time he clapped until us clapping, us imagining that running of the race, our times on the following Saturday in the competition, in almost all cases, matched the time that we had in our mind, which shows that our physical performance was dictated or predicated by, by our mental by our minds, by our conscious, our subconscious. That was deciding how we do everything. So uh, if, we, if we have evidence that the brain begins to change almost immediately with practice, whether real or imagined, and, and I've spoken so many times about the power of the mind in our visualization and affirmations, right? If we have this evidence, then we must know that there is progress that can be made. But those changes will disappear if we do not keep practicing. The fact that mental rehearsal affects the brain almost exactly like physical rehearsal 
is, is, is perfect empirical evidence, if you will, that your, your own internal pep talks, your, your affirmations, your visualizations, your, your efforts at being mindful, um, thought control, and I don't mean thought control, brainwashing, just controlling what you are thinking and your willpower, all of these techniques that, we'll, that we're still going to go through, they will des uh, achieve the, the desired effect. The discovery that the brain changes physically in response to our life experiences is, is probably, was probably the biggest news in psychology for, for many decades. Neuroscientists know that all habits have a physical existence in, 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 in the, 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 the structure of the brain. The early traces were laid down in, in our childhood. Uh, teachers telling you something, your parents telling you something, a, a traumatic experience. As we practice bad habits more and more, they become more like railroad tracks. The, the only way to get from here to there, uh, from stress to relief, from anger to peace, um, and, 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 and we ignore the fact that there are much healthier and more direct ways of getting what we need. Um, it should more be like an open field where to get from stress to relief, you can take any route that you want, but our habits put it on a rail track. So there is nowhere else for you to go. When you are stressed, there is only one solution and your body automatically follows that. If your relief is alcohol after work before you go home, that becomes habitual, that becomes unconscious, where you know that the only way you, you, you think, the only way you will relax before you get home, not take it out on your wife and kids, is to first stop for a couple of years, forgetting about the long-term effects that that might have. So under stress, we take a drink or we have a snack, we pick a fight, or we get depressed, all without the awareness that we've made a decision. Our bad habits operate unconsciously. So we have decided, but we don't know that we've decided. This is one of the forces behind our internal pep talks um, or our efforts in mindfulness and all that and our willpower. Um, all of these will come through when we apply them and, and achieve the, the effect that we need for them. This, this is also one of the forces behind the undertow that, uh, that I mentioned a bit earlier. It's so difficult to overcome bad habits because they are etched into, into our brains. They, they don't go away as we practice better behavior. They, they just fall into disuse. They become dormant, uh, if you will. So, so they can easily be revived. That song that we heard that all of a sudden brings back all these memories and behaviors and feelings exactly the same way. We don't tear up the old tracks for, the, for our train when we build new ones. We just let them get rusty and weedy, but they can still carry the train. They can still carry our habits forward. For example, say, say you've been eating unhealthy for years. You start out on a diet hoping to lose 10 kilos in, in, in four weeks. When you don't, you get discouraged and you give up. But you wouldn't expect to learn how to play the guitar after only a few weeks of practice. 
isn't it? Or, or to speak a foreign language or, or type the fastest in the world. Yet because we know perfectly well that what we have to do to change ourselves, um, which often seems very simple, um, and, and what we expect to overcome a lifetime of bad habits with in only a few weeks is not that easy, but we know that it can be done. Uh, as Alcoholics Anonymous says, um, just because it's simple doesn't mean it's easy. Habits die hard. Uh, there's the, the saying, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Each time we engage in a bad habit, we make it more likely that we'll do it again in the future. But in the same way, each time we engage in a good habit, we make it more likely that we will do that again as well. It's, it's just about impossible to explain self-destructive behavior without some concept of this divided self that we have, of the, the motives and the feelings that we hide from ourselves, um, of a, a part of the mind that sometimes works against our own best interests. It's like trying to explain the, the movement of the planets in, in our solar system while, while ignoring the gravitational force of the sun. Our automatic selves and our thinking selves affect each other with great force, like a gravity, usually beneath our awareness. It's something that we, it, it's in our subconscious. If you think about it, you can find it, but on a daily basis, it's something that never even crosses your mind. The conscious self is, is largely in, in the new brain, uh, our neocortex. Um, it's what evolution, if you, if you believe in evolution, I'll, it's what God gave humans <laughs> that separates us from animals. Animals have the, the, their thinking is centered largely around the amygdala, the reptilian brain, the, the reactive survival instinct brain. Um, there's no creativity, there's no reasoning often, which is what we get from, from the neocortex. Um, it's, it's the part of the brain that's involved in deliberate reasoning in our imagination. It reflects on experiences and hopefully helps us make thoughtful decisions where we've considered the consequences. So we make decisions on what's good for us and, and what to, to avoid. Compared to the unconscious, it's much more open to new information, able to be flexible in its response. Um, it's, it's what enables us to be patient, to take the, the long-term view of something, to plan for our futures and, and not respond with a knee jerk to whatever's going on right now. When we, when we think of ourselves, we're thinking of this part of the brain where we, we like to think we're in charge and that our lives uh, deliberate uh, and, and that, that we live our lives deliberately. But in fact, our decision-making and reasoning uh, are deeply influenced by, by our, our unconscious. So when we develop good habits, we replace bad habits. You, you need to change your, your automatic habits from negative to positive ones. Right, my, uh, my mouth is very dry now. I think it's, uh, it's, it's time for, uh, for a quick break. Before we do that, let's, um, let's thank uh, one of our other sponsors, AEP NMR, 
who is a boutique consulting service established in 2013. NMR specializes in strategy, enterprise, and human capital development. AUP is a 100% Black-owned and female-managed organization. For consulting excellence, you can contact AEP NMR at info at aep-nmr.com, or you can call them on plus 27101410055. Let's go for a quick music break. And when we are back, we're going to look at our or second part of rewiring and, and look at certain habits that can lead into self-destructive behavior. And we're gonna look at a simple exercise you can apply to, to try and manage these, uh, these self-destructive behavior. Back to the studio for a song and we'll see you back in a few minutes. Enjoy. Welcome back, welcome back. That was uh, Level with Free. And she's got actually a, a nice lyric in there in part of the song where <laughs> talks about uh, breaking free from your chains and that's exactly what we'll do <laughs> if we if we get rid of some of our old habits that was a good uh, song choice from Keanu now as we get into our second part uh, we, we look at certain habits that can lead us to our self-destructive behavior unfortunately it's not easy to unlearn these bad habits in in our automatic system in our subconscious our automatic self has, has learned many habits over, over the years. And, and all of this has happened without us being aware of it. And, and those habits can incidentally lead to unintended negative consequences uh, for us in our lives. I use the word incidentally because here, unlike in the, in, in the rest of the, the, the series that we'll go through, there, there's no hidden... There's no hidden motive, no, no anger or, or self-hate that's at work here. Much of this automatic behavior is, is there to keep us safe and to keep us comfortable, to, to support our self-esteem and, and not to challenge our basic assumptions about life. But it, it can end up hurting us. This is the automatic self at work without conscious control. As we've said, the, the automatic self is usually quite reliable. We are constantly making decisions beneath our level of awareness, under the radar, uh, most of which work out pretty well for us. I mean, you, you don't wake up every day and make it to the end of the day in pieces with broken arms and limbs and a bloody nose because of your, your subconscious. Most of the time we make it through quite okay. But the automatic self, can often be mistaken because of a lack of knowledge, um, prejudice, bad logic or social influence, um, faulty assumptions and, and a whole bunch of other reasons. Those mistakes do not necessarily lead to self-destructive consequences. But when they do and, and when it's repeated, we have the kind of mistakes we can, we can learn from, but only if we pay attention to what's going on. If there's any kind of self-blame that should be attached to this kind of behavior, it, it has to do with mental laziness and, and sloppy thinking. Oh, <laughs> Homer Simpson is perhaps one of the best, <laughs> the best images of, uh, of that laziness and, and, and sloppy thinking. But, but also think of yourself and, and times when you've 
unintentionally embarrassed yourself or, or hurt people around you by uh, assuming things that, uh, that there was no evidence for or, or leaping to, to unwarranted conclusions, uh, making assumptions, or, or when you've made choices that you regret that were influenced by, by hidden motives like the desire to look good uh, or to fit in or to, to change someone's opinion of yourself. The, the basic assumption here is, I know what I'm doing, and there is, <sighs> let me rephrase that one. Our, our basic assumption when we look at, at this form of behavior is that we know what we are doing. But that assumption results often in, in the contrary. Um, and when that happens, we immediately assume that it's not our fault. The fact is that most happy and confident people are, are slightly delusional. And, and I'm speaking to myself there 100%. Happiness, as we generally define it, depends on certain optimistic or, or, or self-serving biases. According to us, we are all better than average. Um, we are more honest than other, other people. We are more ethical. And we are probably more impartial than others. And our, our motivations are always pure uh, and more pure than most people anyway. We are better drivers than anybody else on the road. We can handle our liquor better than anybody else too. We believe that our weaknesses are very common. Uh, so it's just part of being human or or else it's, it's irrelevant, you know, it's a, it's a weakness everybody has, let's just forget about it. Our strengths, on the other hand, are, are unique and valuable to us. We believe we, we will live 10 to 15 years longer than the average statistics. And unless you're really depressed, you think that the good things in your life are due to your own wonderful self and how amazing you are, and, and all the gifts and the talents that God gave you. While the bad things, well, that's, that's just bad luck, or someone else's fault. We think that success, that our successes reflect our, our talents, while, while our failures are outside of our control. We have faith in positive feedback, but when someone gives us negative feedback, we are very skeptical, and, and we remember our successes more than failures. So there's a, a big bias that you can even, if you look at your, at your own thinking, identify that bias because you are biased. You, you do not think of everybody the same way uh, and treat everybody and everyone's behaviors in the same way. We, we, we choose carefully who we compare ourselves to. Um, happy and confident people generally believe that their good traits are a very rare and, and a very highly valued trait, whereas the bad habits is that everybody does it variety, right? And incidentally, we tend to believe that we are less influenced by these distorted beliefs than the average person is. And so, so collectively, these beliefs are, are referred to as a self-serving bias. That is our self-serving bias. As long as the bias is not too far off base, it can lead to a happier life because you forget about the small things. You don't sweat them, right? And, and you blow your own trumpet on the, on the good things. 
Some of these beliefs become self-fulfilling prophecies that lead to good outcomes. And we've spoken about self-fulfilling prophecies as well, right? More, more optimistic people will stay at a task longer than pessimists. More positive people have more friends. And there are other biases that, uh, that, that just seem to encourage our self-esteem. The, the automatic self is, is what we usually present to the outside world. It's how we behave in, in unguarded moments, our, our true personality, if you will. Well, what we consider our personality is, is only based on our conscious self. Um, we, we guess at it from, from our actions and our thoughts and, and what other people tell us. But when we ask ourselves questions like, uh, am I a good friend? Am I honest? Uh, am I calm? Am I warm? We have only our own beliefs and, inf and inferences to, to base our answers on. And some of which come from what we've been told by other people, especially our parents, and, and some, of, uh, some of our own self-beliefs. All of this is affected, of course, by the self-serving bias. We, we weave together a, a constructed reality, a, a narrative to help us make sense of our own lives. And in order for us to get by in life, our minds organize our experiences into patterns that make sense and enable us to predict what is going to happen next. We, we develop a, a set of implicit assumptions that explain how life works for us, which together form our assumptive world. Uh, in this sense of the term, uh, assumptions are not purely... Uh, they're not purely thoughts uh, or ideas, but also our emotional and behavioral patterns. Each of us develops our own assumptive world out of necessity almost to, to make the world predictable uh, so that we can get up every morning and want to get up because you, you expect what's going to happen. We, uh, we, we observe and generalize from our observations. Um, an example, I, I spilled the milk. My mom's going to yell at me. Um, so there's something that's happened and we've made an assumption. I got a promotion. My wife will be proud. Um, I misplaced my phone. My daughter think my, uh, is going to think I'm just losing it. When, when we find exceptions to, to these generalizations, um, our assumptions about life should, in theory, get richer and, and more complex, um, be more capable of, uh, of, of making finer distinctions. I spill the milk, but dad only gets mad or mom only gets mad when she's had a bad day at work. I got a promotion, but that will mean longer hours. I wonder how my wife will feel. Can you see how the the assumptive order uh, has, has changed a little bit in that narrative. And, and the, the assumptive world helps us predict what's going to happen next, but it may be very accurate or it may be very distorted. Often our assumptive world can be very active or very accurate in one area. Um, so how the iPhone works, 
but far off base in, in another one, such as how a relationship might work. And in the automatic self, it's the default system, the network of cells that, uh, and, and the cells connections that are the highways of our thinking, our feeling and, and how we act. So when we encounter a, a new experience, we, we try to fit it into our assumptive world, the way we've made all these assumptions. In the brain, our, our energy flows most easily through these established pathways. And, and a way to look at it is brain is like water, right? It will, our brain is like water. It will always use the, the area of least resistance. Um, if, you've, if you've ever made little pathways as a kid in the soil, um, for millennials, I guess uh, <laughs> I would have to use a game example. Where's my water? Uh, the, the popular iPhone game. So you make a little channel in the sand to get the water to a certain place. And, and you notice how the water follows the, the easiest route. Water is not going to go uphill if there's a way for it to go downhill. And, and our brains are exactly the same way. They, they go for those established little pathways, the, the path of least resistance. Neurons that fire together, wire together. Remember we said that if, uh, if, if, if our new experience doesn't fit into our assumptive world, and, and we, we generally work very hard to, to force that in there, it should come to the attention of our conscious self. And then we become aware of this problem that we have to solve. But as we, as we discovered in our logical level discussions, our subconscious uh, and automatic mind um, or the assumptive world is very resistant to change first because the automatic self tries to view the world through these established patterns, um, which is why psychologists refer to this as the lazy system. And then secondly, because our assumptions themselves limit what we see and, and what we experience. There's, a, there's an old legend that when uh, the, the, the explorer Cortez sailed up the Mexican coast, the, the Native Americans couldn't see his, uh, his ships because they had never imagined a ship. They did not understand what a ship was. So because they didn't understand it and couldn't imagine it, they couldn't see it. Um, if if our assumptions about a, a colleague then is that he's a numbnut <laughs> or a numbskull or an idiot, um, I'm not likely to hear anything he says as intelligent or perceptive. That's the, the, the same way, and, and I think this is, is somewhere where that in our relationships, uh, home relationships in particular, um, we often make the mistake because you might, as a, as a husband, have an assumption that your wife is always grumpy at the end of the day. So by the time you arrive at, uh, at home, you, you've already prepared yourself for this grumpy wife. She might simply look around from, from her cooking as you walk in and look to see who's coming in with, with no ill intent, but because you've already decided that She's, she's going to be grumpy because she's always grumpy at night. Um, you see the look as an aggressive look. And your first response is, what? What have I done now? 
you, you see where that's going. When your mind has made up its, uh, itself about your subconscious, when it's made up itself about a specific thing, changing it becomes very hard. And, and it becomes almost a self-fulfilling prophecy because now because of your stupid behavior, every time you get home, your wife is going to be grumpy because you, you upset her. <laughs> it, it's quite funny if you think of it. Um, these, um, the, these paradigms of ours, um, which, which we can also call uh, narratives or scripts or our mindsets, they, they have a great deal to do with creating the reality that we experience. Because they are resistant to change, they become self-fulfilling prophecies. As we get older, we stick with old friends who, who support these assumptions of ours and let others who don't support our assumptions go by the wayside. We, we lose touch with them. Our friends will generally share our views uh, about politics, uh, religion, sports, um, other people in, at work, other people in the town. And, and we'll try to find work that doesn't challenge our expectations of life. So we start building our life around these assumptions uh, or paradigms that we create. We'll read the, the newspaper or, or magazines and listen to radio stations that support our prejudices. We choose between Fox News and CNN based on these paradigms, based on, on our prejudices. If, if our, our self-destructive behavior is, say, for example, drinking too much, um, intellectual laziness, overeating, wasting time, or neglecting our health, we're not likely to keep friends who challenge us on these issues. If we, if we gamble or, or use drugs, um, we'll find people who will encourage us in these behaviors not someone who's going to try and stop us. If our family or loved ones keep going at us and nagging at us on these behaviors, we will start avoiding them. We, we tune them out. You, you miss phone calls. You don't respond to WhatsApp messages. Um, or we find a way to, to make them shut up or give up on us. And that's often done through aggressive behavior. So, so we find ways to help us literally not see the consequences of our own self-destructive behavior. Does that make sense? Can, can you start seeing some of these things as they're happening uh, in, in your life? Certain assumptions characteristically accompany each, each other. Because, they, because they're trying to deal with the same recurring issues, like controlling fear or by being a, a, a perfectionist. The, the, the self that we present to the world is deeply affected by, by these patterns of ours. They, they underlie what we call our personality. We may believe that everyone loves us <laughs> or that everyone is out to get us. Um, we may see ourselves as bewildered and innocent or, or, or wise cynics or powerless victims, or even as a capable hero. Each of us, because of that, develops out of these assumptions our own unique world of these paradigms, which determine how we hear what people say, what we see, what we feel, uh, what we think, 
uh, what we guess, our imagination, and, and ultimately our behavior. If we've been lucky, our assumptions fit pretty well with our reality. But many of our assumptions have been absorbed um, without us being critical about them. Um, they were learned at an early age, uh, learned without us consciously being aware of what we've learned. And if they are wrong, they can result in decisions that, uh, the, that blow up in our faces. I've had far too many of those instances in my life. Now, because of these paradigms, um, and, and because our paradigms are unconscious, they don't get corrected by the results of, of bad decisions. Um, the, that feeling that you get of, oh gosh, I'm not going to do that again. You know, picking up that boiling hot cup of coffee and burning your tongue. Uh, we don't often learn from that. So we keep on making the same mistake. I, ideally, when we experience something that is against our assumptions, we should almost consciously go out and challenge them and, and try to make changes. But our automatic self, your subconscious and unconscious mind, does a lot to keep that uh, disconfirming experience sort of out of your, your consciousness. It doesn't raise it to that level. It keeps it under the cover. It, it uses defenses like uh, denial, uh, rationalization, or, or changing the subject to protect our assumptions. I'm guilty of quite a few of those. Let's, let's look at a few of these, um, these paradigms. Uh, and, and I've got a little table that I'll share with you online on, on both my website and the Ushari Facebook page uh, after the show. And, and we're going to look at a paradigm. And, and let's say our paradigm is mistrust and, and abuse. Or let's, let's pick something a little bit easier. Uh, failure, which we've all had, right? So our paradigm is failure. Now, out of each paradigm, we have major assumptions that we make, right? So my paradigm is failure. My major assumption is going to be, I'm a failure, I'm stupid, I'm incompetent. There, there's no use in me even trying to change. Now, if that's your paradigm and those are your major assumptions, you are always going to see the real world as simply impossible. Um, and then you will always, you, you'll start creating a, a vivid fantasy world to escape from that failure. You will also never see or avoid, uh, you'll never see the value of trying things differently. Um, own self-sabotage uh, is something that will come to the fore, which may be quite extreme, right? So failure, our assumption is I'm, I'm a failure, I'm stupid, I'm incompetent. Uh, we see the world as simply impossible. We don't see the value of trying things differently. And then the last part is, is the emotional part of it. You become isolated, schizoid or anxious about this. Uh, another one could be paranoid. Let, let, let's take one more before we carry on. Another paradigm could be a, a, a paradigm of paranoia, where your major assumption is, is going to be everybody's out for himself. 
no one can be trusted. I, I have some good friends who, who get stuck in this, <laughs> in this paradigm. If the, paranoid is your paradigm, you will always see threats to your safety and your security, threats to your self-respect and, and, and too much self-respect that you will reflect. And you will not see the genuine concern from others. Uh, the self-fulfilling nature of paranoid fantasies is something that you will, you will not be able to see in your life. And then the emotional part is that you may be outwardly pleasant and charming, but you are always in control because you feel that everyone's out for themselves and someone's out to get you. That puts you under pressure and it may be intimidating and, uh, and, 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 and coercive. And most likely you're going to be isolated. Do, do, do you get that? Do you see how that, how that changes? Let, let's do one more, just for the heck of it, just in case you, you've not grasped onto it completely. If your paradigm is your, <laughs> you're, you're trapped in your own assumptive world, your major assumptions, uh, a major assumption is going to be, I know what I'm doing and results to the contrary are not my fault you will always see evidence that confirms your belief system, whether that's good or bad. And you will never see evidence that goes against your beliefs. Uh, it's, it's seen as a, a rare exception or not even noticed at all sometimes. And your emotional style is content, confident, and conforming. Now, I, I think it's important here to note again that this fact that we could live in this assumptive world and you might think your life is perfect and nothing's wrong, that might just be a really good sign that you have to dig deeper and that you're actually suppressing or hiding something else. And I'm not saying that's the case for everybody. There are people who are truly, truly, really happy with life anyway it is. <laughs> but it's humbling to see how, how fallible and easily influenced uh, we are. We, we want to believe that we know what's best and that we make our decisions deliberately. But there are so many things going on outside our conscious awareness that lead to, to self-destructive behavior, um, misguided efforts to protect our good opinions of ourselves that backfire on us. And, and all kinds of influences that shape us un, unwittingly and uh, such as our in, uh, convenient memories and false assumptions and beliefs that distort our experiences, our decision fatigue, and, even, and, and more. What we'll do now, and, and we'll explore this more as we, as we go through the next few, is we're going to learn about being mindfully aware and look at some of our defensive structures that we employ. Um, we'll look at developing willpower to start changing these habits of ours. And I'm going to give you some nice tools that can help you free yourselves from these influences and biases. So today we'll start with the very first one of that. And, and this will also bring us closer to the end uh, of today's show. Let's do a, a very simple exercise that will help us to learn from our mistakes, all right? So start by keeping a journal of your disappointments, 
your failures and your self-destructive actions. It's important to write down because these are the kinds of things your, your, your self-serving bias will want to forget or memorize. And as we've spoken before, the simple act of writing something down makes you think about it critically because it's a thinking action. You have to involve your brain to put the words down that you want to write. So when something goes wrong, write down first what you hoped or expected would happen. Then what really happened? Then you've got to examine your, your expectations for biases that steered you wrong. That is the, the not so easy part. Um, you, you had so much effort invested already that you were not able to look realistically at your chances of success. You were affected by social influence. Everybody does it. You forgot about past failures that you, you only remember now that you were disappointed. Um, you were tired and wanted to get over, uh, over with it. And the list goes on. The next step is important. Now that you're disappointed, what do you conclude from the experience? Right? What do you conclude from the experience? Your emotions are high right now. So the chances of a faulty conclusion uh, are very good. Blaming circumstances or somebody else or, or being overly critical of yourself, finding a rationalization to, to make this seem like a unique experience so you don't have to change your assumptions. Then, having rejected all of these faulty conclusions, use your conscious mind, right, to decide what to do differently next time. And I'll give you a few examples uh, on the website. Give me about 30 minutes to an hour after the show, and I'll pop it on there and then go and run through those. And, and keep a little journal, small pocket book next to you. Print this out and put it in there. So that when it comes down to it, uh, you, can, you can easily just quickly whip it out uh, <laughs> and, and make a few notes. All right. I, I hope that that was something that you learned something from today. It's really good to be back. It's really good to, speaking, to be speaking to all of you again today. Um, so this brings us now to the end uh, of our first show. Next week, we're going to take on the next part where we will start looking at, uh, at fear the hidden fear within us, and how we unpack that one on this journey of rewiring our brain. Before we go, let's uh, thank our Kebulan Chamber Association. Um, the Alkebulan Chamber Association aims to restore inter-Africa trade routes by promoting inter-Africa trade collaboration and investment. You can contact our Kebulan Chamber Association on plus 27-72348-7084. I want to thank you again for joining us today. Stay tuned. There's a lot of awesome programming and amazing music coming up. You have a blessed, blessed weekend, and I'll see you next week. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and share.